Fisher. I'm so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. If you're a guest, we are so glad you are here. In your seat or on the pew in front of you, there is a blue card. At some point during this service, fill out that card with some basic information so our staff can thank you for coming. On the back of that blue card, you will also see a place to put prayer requests. Anyone, guest, or member can write a prayer request down, and tomorrow morning, the staff will pray for each one of these. As the offering plate passes by here in a bit, feel free to place that card in there. Before we get to some announcements, we have some exciting things to tell you. Throughout the outreach of our church, there have been several people who have been baptized. We wanted to show you some video footage of these people being baptized, so let's celebrate and praise God for how he is moving. From 6 to 8 p.m., the Cultivate team is starting a new event called Cultivate Girls. This is an event for girls from 5th to 12th grade to come together and do some super fun activities. It will be held here at the church, and of course, food will be provided. You can sign up at fbccookville.org slash cultivate girls or by calling the church office. Also, if you sign up in advance, you will be entered into a drawing for a poet's gift card. My second announcement is for the women of the church. On September 30th, we will be having another Cultivate event. This is a monthly gathering for all women of all ages. There will be food, fun, and fellowship. You can sign up by going to fbccookville.org cultivate. This is a great opportunity to get together with other women from our church. You don't want to miss it. This month, for Pray, Give, Go, we are highlighting the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board's Golden Offering. This is an opportunity for us as a church to partner with other Tennessee churches to bring the gospel to people who need it. Our goal as a church is to raise $8,000. Please pray about how God might be calling you to sacrificially give to this ministry. That's all the announcements we have for you today. Make sure you check our, out the Chronicles for other announcements I didn't mention. Thank you so much for coming to FBC Cookville this morning. I pray that our time together this morning would remind you of the amazing grace we have all received. Good morning, church. Well, you got a minute there to see, or just a quick second of a baptism held at Edgar Evans State Park. Miss Christy Sullins wanted to be baptized there. Her family had all been baptized there. A couple, uh, several, several weeks back now, we were able to go out on a Saturday and baptize Christy with her whole family. It was just a, a great time. And this week here in uh, these waters, we baptized five. Uh, prison inmates here in our local correction facility. So every single week uh, we go into the jail, and it's a ministry of First Baptist Church. We have several men and women that go in and, and just minister to the inmates and love upon them and carry them through a process called Celebrate Recovery. And that has brought forth a lot of change and a lot of lives. And fortunately, we get the privilege to baptize them. We brought them in. We shared Jesus with them and love of Christ with them and encouraged them and just talked about life, got to know them for a bit. And then we were able to baptize them, pray with them, and they they returned different. Now, they came in shackled, and I told them, I said, you know, you're shackled with sin, and the sin of this world shackles us. 
but by Christ's freedom, we can, we can know Him and live differently. And they left here, uh, just, it was amazing. So God's blessing and using the ministry of First Baptist Church. And this morning, I'm with Luke, and uh, this is Luke Perryman. And uh, Luke grew up in, uh, where, where was it now? Columbia, Columbia Tennessee. Tennessee. And he attended church growing up. And uh, Luke says, you know, he, he was baptized as an infant and, and committed to the Lord. But in his heart, and starting in December, well, sometime around last year, but in December last year through the ministry of the BCM and Ben's involvement with Luke, Luke came to the place that he knew he wanted to make that faith personal and just give a personal testimony of his faith in Jesus Christ. And it's been become very real for Luke and his journey with Jesus. And Luke uh, has been discipled or is being discipled by Noah and, and with a couple other guys. So discipleship really matters. We're pouring into Luke's life as we desire to pour into everybody's life here at First Baptist and beyond. But Luke has, uh, has made this statement that he wants to live for Jesus and, and he wants to make a difference in life. So Luke, I, I've just said it, but I'm going to ask you, do you truly trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I do. And do you want to live every day of your life completely for Him, surrender to Him? I do. Well, brother, it is a privilege to baptize you. And just as we see in Romans chapter 6, uh, Jesus uh, died because of the sin of mankind. He died on the cross at Calvary. And, and out of that death, He rose to walk as a full life. And uh, so we're buried with Him because of our sin. We're buried with Him in baptism, and we raised to walk a new life. So, my brother, I pray for you as you walk a new life, and we want to encourage you as a church. So, Father, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen, brother. I'm going to turn it over to Bill, and Bill's going to take it from here, but... Looking forward to worshiping some more with you this morning. Amen. What a beautiful way to begin our worship service today, seeing one that's followed Christ being baptized. And so let me call you to, to pray during this service, not only for Pastor Scott as he delivers the word to us today, but how we can apply it to our lives. And know that God's invitation to us is open as long as we have life and breath and make a conscious decision. So if you have decisions to make public or private, be praying about that today. Invite you to enjoy uh, the services and engage in every part of it. You heard all of the announcements. There's one that we wanted to highlight in your bulletin, so there are many others in there that we didn't call attention to, but they're all important. But uh, save the date of November 9th. It's a special dinner and recognition time for veterans, not only in our church but in our community. And so there's some information about what is needed for that, some pictures, some information that can be scanned and used. And also uh, Steve Sharp, who's helping lead this, is in the uh, central lobby there and we'll be there after the service to stop by and say a word to him or get some more information there but right now let me ask you to stand greet those around you if you don't know someone's name share yours and get theirs and uh, then engage in all aspects of our worship thank you
to if we know the Lord is that we're his child and that we are we are firmly in his hands never to be removed that is something to worship the Lord about that's something to praise him about something to sing about did you know the Bible said has 400 over 400 times where it references singing as a form of worship I never really knew that I knew the Bible said to to sing and there were obvious times to sing for the Lord I know that were 400 times and there's beyond that there's 50 uh, direct um, um, I don't want to say order, but direct commands from the Lord to say, sing a song to him, sing a new song to him. We are commanded to sing. And it's not, it, it's not, there's no preface to us that says, if you have a really good voice, sing for the Lord. No. It says to sing for the Lord. We're all to do it. It doesn't matter if your voice is great or terrible or whatever. You're just supposed to sing to the Lord because it comes from a heart that is dedicated to him. And when you sing, you encourage those next to you to sing. Because you're singing truth. You're singing about something you can agree about. We can agree on that last song. That we are who he says we are. And that is a great thing to know. Let me give you something else to sing about as we continue on this as next song. It comes from John 1, 16 and 17. It says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. We have received grace. And if we mess up, if we sin again, if we do something wrong, which we do, 
there's more grace. God continually forgives us because he took care of all of our sins there at the cross. So that is something to sing about. It's an amazing grace that comes from Jesus Christ, not from the law, not from man, but from him. The grace that we experience comes from him. So let's sing about that amazing grace.
Jesus, that is our prayer, that we are yours and you are ours forever and forever. Lord, your mercy is that abundant grace that reigns down on us, Lord, that that reigns in our lives, Lord. We can find forgiveness, Lord. We may be in situations where we've made bad decisions, uh, Lord, through through a lifestyle or through uh, just a sinful action, Lord. But we know that we can come to you. We can ask forgiveness, and your grace is abundant to us, and you forgive us. And I thank you for that, Lord. We just we just want to worship you this morning, Lord, because you are a great God that, that gives us grace. You've proven yourself over and over and over that we can trust you. Lord, that no matter our circumstances, no matter what trials we're in, we can trust you in all things. So, Lord, speak to our hearts as we continue, as the choir sings, and then uh, Pastor Scott comes to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
Amen. Thank you, choir. And I know these these guys work a whole lot. All these ladies and all these men and those playing instruments, those singing in the choir, they're here for two services every Sunday and get here real early and stay a little extra. So I praise God for you. Thank you for the contribution and leading us into praise and worship of Jesus. If you have your Bibles today, I'd invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9. Luke's family is here with him today, and I'm, I'm glad his family's here. They made the journey from Columbia and maybe other places, but I sure am glad to see you all today. Glad you're here. Welcome to First Baptist. And I want to invite you, as I said, to turn to Daniel chapter 9. Today I want to talk with you about just this topic that has probably been very overlooked in possibly your life, maybe not, but uh, many lives it's overlooked today. And we talk about uh, knowing God. So Daniel brings us to an understanding of how we can know God better. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at knowing God. I, I want to ask you a question. Do you want to know God? Do, do you really want to know Him deeper, more than you know Him today? Do you want to walk more intimately, more personally, more committed to God? I, I desire that. And I, I hope as, as a pastor... Uh, loving the Lord Jesus Christ, loving you, knowing His love for us, I want to lead you to walk closer to God. I want you to have that more intimate, personal fellowship and relationship with God. So it's my desire to lead you in the place where you would know Him and know Him better. Uh, In this text today, we're going to learn about fasting, and you just don't hear a lot of sermons about fasting. I, I, I haven't in my life. I've been to church for quite a few years, and I haven't had a lot of sermons on fasting. I will promise you we didn't plan a covered dish supper right after this. That's the general Baptist thing to do instead of fast, just to feast. Uh, but there is a call in our life to fast, and I want to look at that this morning. Uh, several months ago, gosh, it's been, I don't know the date or the time in my mind right now. It's a blur as far as when it was, but it seems less than a year ago. Maybe it was a year ago, but we sat down as a staff, and, and part of my doctoral work, we, we wrote a, a uh, discipleship guide that paralleled with our vision for the church, the vision God gave us for this church. And that vision is this, that we would desire God, disciple people, and devote ourselves to serve. That is the vision of First Baptist Church. There is a, a necessity for us to build a culture that desires God right here, that we would desire Him with all of our life, that we would, having that desire within us, want to know more about Him, that drive us to the Scriptures. We'd be discipled in His Word, and being discipled in His Word would reveal to us the privilege that we have to devote our lives to serve God. So that is our vision, and when we took and we wrote a discipleship guide that would carry mainly for our college students, but it's crossed all the lines, and, and we want people to understand how they can desire God. Why should I desire God? How can I be discipled? And, and what can I devote myself to serve in this church and in the, in the world around me? In the process of that, we talked about spiritual disciplines. And we asked uh, 40 leaders, a little over 40 leaders, to come together, and we, we taught them what it would look like to walk through this discipleship material and lead others in this discipleship material. And now there's hundreds that have been a part of it. And, and in that process, we gave them a spiritual disciplines questionnaire. And we asked them to rank themselves on, on, on a scale of 1 to 10 where they land in practicing and participating in these spiritual disciplines with regularity. The one spiritual discipline that was overlooked almost by and large 
was fasting. In fact, many of the, the leaders of our church that participated in this would say that they did not ever fast. So recognizing that, I said, okay, this is probably a little larger than I had anticipated when I began. I didn't realize that that many people did not fast. And I said, I need to search the Scriptures again and understand what God is calling us to because if we want to walk in an intimate, passionate, personal relationship with God, I want all of God. I don't want some of God. I want to, I want to walk in the, that which God calls me to, and I want to lead the people to walk in that as well. So today, we're going to look at what it looks like. What, what would it be like for me and for you to engage God at the level of fasting? And, and Daniel chapter 9 will pretty much be a launching point for us. Uh, I'd ask you that if you're a, a note taker to get out your notebook, get ready to write, because I'm going to lead you through several scriptures this morning. If you're not a note taker, get out a pen and grab the offering envelope. It may be the most readily available thing to you or something in front of you. Borrow a sheet of paper from a friend and just take some notes this morning because much of this you'll need to go back and review yourself and walk through these scriptures with a little more time and consideration as God works in your heart to understand the three things I'm going to speak to you about this morning. The first one is this. There is a call on all of us to fast. There are conditions around that fasting, and there is a change that comes when we fast. So if you have your Bibles and you turn to Daniel chapter 9, if you will stand with me, let's read the first, first five verses together. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can come before you this morning as a body of people assembled in this place, appointed by you, God, to be here. I pray, God, that you would anoint me to speak the truth of your word into the hearts of your people. And God, may it change us, transform us, and bring us to a new place in our life. God, may we uh, not look on this text and this teaching with amused tolerance, but God, come to the place where we seek you, desiring to know all that you have for us, and God, wanting that intimate relationship with you, no matter what that costs us, Father. I pray that you'll just minister to our hearts, lead us through your text, and I pray and ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. So as we, we see here in Daniel, and I could have gone to many places, we see that Daniel engages and a very personal time, an intimate time with God in fasting. If you notice there, and, and we, over the last several weeks, we looked at the, the necessity of reading God's Word and, and understanding God's Word in our life, to, to study God's Word. 
study God's Word and show yourself approved. And, and we want to know God's Word. But not only do we want to know God's Word, we want to pray and have that personal conversation with God. I talked with you over the last couple of weeks about the, the value of praying Scripture and, and understanding Scripture and taking it to a level where we're praying back the words that God's speaking into our hearts. And in this text, we see that's happening with Daniel. Daniel was reading, and, and he was reading about these, this, the years of completion of the desolation of Israel, and he, he understood that, and that drove him to a place of prayer. As he read the Word of God, he began to talk to God about the Word of God and what it was speaking into his life. And as he prayed, he committed himself to not only just pray up words, but to fast and seek God with all he had. He wanted to fully seek God and engage God, so he, he brought himself into a fast where he positioned himself crying out to God. And so we, we see these working together in this text. That's why, I, as I read that scripture and, and, and led by God to bring that out, that all these things tie together. You, you cannot separate them from one another. And, and there is truly a call in our lives to fast. God's calling us to fast. I mean, I know we like the idea of God calling me to a feast. But God is calling us to a fast. He's calling us as people to fast. So in understanding this text, I just want to lead out this morning and look at several other places. So here's a place for you to take some notes. I'm going to call some scriptures. I'm going to read them. I ask you to pay attention as I read those texts to understand how God has used in the life of others the opportunity to fast. So if we begin, we can, we can look in Esther, and we see in Esther, and you're writing notes, chapter 4, verse 14 and 16 says this. Uh, this is Mordecai. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine, verse 13 says, do not imagine you in the that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. So here, it's setting the tone, Esther is going to go before the king, and she is not allowed to come before the king, nor is anyone else, unless they are invited into the king's presence. In fact, if someone enters into the presence of the king without being asked to come in, he has full rights to slay him on the spot. So here Esther says, man, if I die, I die, but I'm going to go because I, this is what I was called for. So I'm going to go, but in the preparation of me going, I and myself and my maidens and I want all of you to fast with me and seek the face of God on my behalf so I can go before them. So we see Esther calling others to join her in a time of fasting. That's the only time we see that in Scripture. We also see in the book of Ezra, we see in chapter 8, verse 21, we see these words. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahabah, and that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. 
For I was ashamed to request from the king's, king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way because we said to the king, listen to what he had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorable, disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger are against those who forsake him. So we fasted and saw our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. So here we see that as, as Ezra's speaking, he said, we're going to go on this journey and, and we're going to all go together, but we're not going to ask the king for his horsemen and his, his, uh, his mighty warriors to go with us and protect us from the endangerment that we could receive on the road. Instead, what we're going to do is because we've championed God as our king and we put him out there that he is capable, we're going to all fast and pray that God would protect us on this journey. He saw the value of having God protect them. He also saw the value of the people coming together for the fast. Well, in the book of Jonah, we see where the whole land of Nineveh received a message from Jonah. And, and Jonah didn't want to deliver this word, but he's delivered this word finally. And this is what it says in chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the, on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Now, in the book of Jonah, what's happening is there are five Hebrew words that Jonah just spoke. It was the shortest message in all of history. I don't know of any pastor that ever stood and preached for five words. I think it was an accomplishment that I did it in 20 minutes last week. That, that was the first. But I, 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 clear, I can't clear my throat in five words. And here Jonah speaks five Hebrew words, and it brings conviction upon all of Nineveh that they stand and say, Let us... Let us go before God. Let us fast. Let us set aside all of this for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and God of heaven. Let us set it aside and see if God will not turn from what he said he's going to do to us. So th there's a call from the king that everybody, even the beast of the field, would come under this fast. That's not the only... It's just so far I've talked about people that, called, uh, to, that were called to a fast. But if we look... In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, we see this. We see where it says, Yet now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning. So we see where people call people into a fast. But that text reveals to us that God calls people into a fast. God in the very flesh came down to this earth, and while he was here, he proclaimed these words in Matthew chapter 6. He says there in verse 16 through 18, Whoever or whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. 
Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will, will reward you. Now this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Above all, He in the flesh, as fully human but fully God, spoken to the people that were there, still resonating in our hearts, He's saying, not if you fast. Those words weren't used. He says, when you fast. The God of all creation, who created the intricacies of all that we see and don't see, didn't miss the statement by making when you fast instead of if you fast. The God of all creation considered this to be part of our life, and He calls us to a fast. So God is calling us in, in, in full faith to fast and be a part of the fasting. So fasting is discussed many times in the Bible. I could continue through the Bible, and we could spend the entirety of our time and even into later today talking about the scriptural references to fasting. But we don't hold true in our own lives fasting as true as we do other things that we do in the church. And I wonder why that is. Like baptism, we know that God speaks in His Word about baptism quite a bit. In fact, we don't have a problem with baptizing. We recognize baptism will not save you. That Ephesians 2 tells us this. For by grace through faith you've been saved. So it's through faith that we're saved. We're saved by, by faith in God, and it's His grace that comes upon us. We are saved by Him. Baptism is an outward response. It's an act that shows that we are part of the family of God, that we've made a, a faithful decision within ourselves to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Luke today announced that to the world, that he is a follower of Jesus Christ. The baptism was a symbol, kind of like my wedding ring, to let you know that he is part of the family. But we recognize the importance of baptism. Jesus, on the, the, right after he had risen from the grave and, and he was talking to the people in the last words before he went to heaven, he said very personally to them that they were to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that he had commanded, he says, I'm going to be with you always. So, so Jesus Christ, the God of all gods, in his last words before mankind, spoke the necessity of us following his will, being discipled, and going and teaching others his word, and baptizing believers in his name. So he's told us that. And we don't, we, I don't think we have a problem in this room with, with the necessity or the, the, the validity of baptism. In obedience to Christ, I, I don't see that. I mean, you, I haven't had that conversation that often. And in the Bible, that's talked about 75 times. So it's good. We should, we should agree. If God spoke it 75 times, it's pretty important that we would understand bapti baptism has an importance in our life. Not only that, we've got tithing. In just a bit, we'll pass a plate here. And, and not that God needs your money, because He doesn't need your money. He owns all the cattle on all the hills. And He's got everything. He owns it all anyhow. But we get to participate together in response to God's grace to us by returning a portion of what He's given us, faithfully trusting that we can 
be surrendered completely, even in our finances, to God and give sacrificially in this church. And you are a sacrificial giving church. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that gives like you give. I've never seen a need that God didn't meet through this church. And in that, we understand that that's biblical for us to be a part of that tithing. In fact, 26 verses or passages in Scripture talk about tithing. So we, we'd have a hard time arguing that tithing is a part of God's will for our lives because it's so often mentioned in the Bible. But fasting, boy, we could argue that one, couldn't we? Well, would, you, would it surprise you to know today that fasting is mentioned in 75 passages in the Bible? Does that surprise you? We don't preach about it a lot. Many don't participate in it. But to not participate in fasting when we know that it's the will of God would be disobedience to the will of God. So there's a call on my life, there's a call on your life by God for us to fast. And there has to be a reason, an understood reason, why we would fast. And that reason is to intentionally draw nearer to God. Every occurrence of fasting in the Bible was an intentionality to draw nearer to God, to seek the face of God. So when we, we deprive ourselves of one of the basic needs of life, which is food, it, it brings us to the recognition that I need food. And my body cries out for food when I don't have food. So in understanding that my body needs food, in that same tense, I understand that I need God. And, and above all, I need God in my life. So I'm putting Him as priority over anything else in this world. I want God to be a priority in my life. And if we just look back at the text that I, I preach, I'm preaching from in, in Daniel chapter 9, look at verse 3 with me one more time. It says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him. So notice what Daniel said. I gave my attention. I didn't give my attention to the meal that I was fixing to eat. I didn't give my attention to the people who were around me. I didn't give my attention to all the things of the world. I gave my attention to the Lord God, to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting. So he said, I turned everything off to turn on the relationship with God because I needed to seek Him. Supplications is a, this earnest seeking after God and requesting God. So he, he's going hard after God. And we know that Scripture tells us, 1 Chronicles 28, 9 tells us, if we seek Him, we'll find Him. He, he will be found, but if we do not, He will, he will repel us. But He calls us to seek Him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, If we seek the Lord with all of our heart, He will be found. We're to seek Him. It is God's desire for us to seek Him. It is God's desire to reveal Himself to us. God wants to make Himself known to you. He's not hiding behind some uh, celestial place and trying to push you away. He is calling you to Himself. No matter who you are, what you've done, no matter... What your past is, it doesn't matter. God longs for a relationship with you, and He's calling you to Him. And here we see Daniel setting aside the things of this world. So he gave his attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplication and fasting. So God's called us to this, and we see Daniel return by doing that. And, and I'm just here to say, when the body's crying out for that which we're used to having and what is the norm for us, it positions us where we can focus our attention on God. 
We'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. But not only is there a call for all of us to fast, there's, there's conditions that are set forth for us to fast. What does a fast look like that would be God-honoring and God-pleasing? You know, there, there was a period of time from the 1800s to the mid-1900s that there were almost no books written on fasting. But in the mid-1900s, 20th century, there was a, a new look at fasting. And, and over those years to the current day, there's been a lot of books written. And you can read a lot of books about fasting. I, I just Googled fasting, and oh my gracious, I could have spent the rest of my life, I believe, reading everything that's on there. But here, the reality is there's a, there's a renewed interest to looking at fasting and trying to understand, how can I fast? And, and as we see that, we, if we read those books, you can see there are many ways that people will say, fast this way, fast this way, fast this. Find something in your life that is distracting you. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's uh, sweets. Maybe it's, well, you could name the list. You could run a list here of what you could fast. Well, I'm not going to say this morning that those things can't be good and God-honoring. Because it depends on what you've been called to. But I just want to look at the conditions of the fast that are presented in the Bible. Because I know that these things can distract us. And certainly, it's good to set aside the distractions of this world. And in those moments where we would normally be distracted, we can intentionally turn our view to God and spend close, intimate time with Him. I, I recognize, too, that they, in the Old Testament, New Testament, they didn't have social media. I recognize that they didn't have the bowling alley. Well, maybe they did. Maybe it was just a little different. They didn't have whatever in this world that could bring distraction to you or me that we may think in our context, well, we're so different now. And, and these things are... No, they had distractions. People in the Old Testament and the New Testament were distracted. And they focused their attention on God by fasting. But every single time we see them fast one of two things. They fast food and water, food or water, or in one occasion in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, we see where Paul talks about a couple can fast physical intimacy for the, when they're agreeing on this for the purpose of prayer and drawing near to God, but it should just be for a short period of time, and they should draw back to one another. So that is the only thing that is fasted that I have found in all the Bible with the exception of food and water. So I want to keep the sermon focused on food and water this morning because it may be good for you to uh, fast uh, social media, and some of you could really gain from that. Uh, I don't even know how to operate it most of the time, so I pretty much can fast that pretty easily. But uh, in this text, we see that, that Daniel is fasting food, and, and we see there's a condition for that. So as we, as we walk through and understand there, there's, a, there's a fast for food, and we, we recognize the value of that. We see that there, th this takes away the distraction of food if we focus on that. And, and it does bring us to that place where we're longing for something. And we feel that something we're longing with, with that deeper walk with Jesus. When Jesus was in the wilderness, Mark tells us that uh, before he went there, he was baptized. And immediately he left and went in the wilderness. Matthew and Luke tell us about him going in the wilderness uh, to spend a time of 40 days of testing, where he was 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And in that time, it says he ate nothing. Now, Jesus consumed no food for 40 days. And you say, well, boy, that's, that's pretty intense. 
And we recognize that at the end of his 40-day fast, Satan came to him and tempted him. says, if you're truly the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And uh, Jesus never fell to the fast, I mean, to, to the t- Satan's temptation because of the fast, but he did say at the end he was hungry. Now, we see that modeled by Jesus where he spent those 40 days without food. When we read about Moses and when he went on the mountain, Mount Sinai, with God, and God spoke to him the commandments that he would give to the children of Israel, while he was there, he ate no food and he drank no water. Now, you and I, if we went 40 days without water, we would cease to exist. There's got to be a difference here. Pastor, what's going on? Because my body and your body, we can only take water out of our body, and everybody's body is different, but we can only go three to four days somewhere in that period before our organs begin to shut down. And at that which time, we we soon approach death. So water is very important to us, but we see that, that Moses ate no food and drank no water. Well, there was a supernatural event that took place where God sustained him. Honestly, that's the only thing we can understand from that, that God sustained him without food or water, and it was just a supernatural event. And God called him to that. First of all, that's that's that call that God calls us to. So we see that Moses went those 40 days with nothing. Jesus went 40 days with no food. And even in Daniel, if we read in chapter 1 or chapter 10, we can see two examples of fast that Daniel entered where he refused the king's meat and the king's wine. And he didn't partake of any of that. And neither did the men with him. And they, they outshined the guys around them. And one of the guys, he was the, the guy that was attending to them and supposed to be giving them the food, felt that he would be on the chopping block with the king if they didn't eat the food. And he said, just watch. So they withheld from the meat and the juice of the king, and they ate, they ate fruits, nuts, and vegetables. And we understand that. And as we see that, even for 21 days in in Daniel chapter 10, we see that he rose and his mind was clear and and his life was more focused on the things of God. So there's a a call to fast. There's, There's conditions in our fast. But also there's a change that comes from fasting. I want to share with you, Paul talks about overcoming the flesh. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Verse 27, let me back up to 26. It says, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box as, as, in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Focus in a little bit with me there. Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. What's he talking about here? Every one of us deals with the flesh. Every one of us. And, and I'm telling you, the flesh cries out. Would you agree with me? Your, your flesh dictates and it drives you in certain directions. And we can easily become overcome by the flesh. The Bible talks about the lust of the flesh. There are lusts of the flesh. The, the flesh longing for and wanting something. And, and here we see that Paul says, I, I beat my body. I'm, I'm more or less, I make it, I discipline it. I, I make my body a slave. I, I bring it under submission. There is such value to bringing the flesh under submission. Instead of the flesh lording over me, me and you lording over the flesh. 
We should lord over our flesh instead of it lording over us. I believe, and I want you to—I don't want you to miss this. I believe there are very many sins in our life related to the flesh that we fall to because the flesh is lording over us instead of us lording over the flesh. And in a fast, in a spiritual time of fasting, what we do, ladies and gentlemen, is we bring the flesh under submission. We lord over the flesh, and when we lord over the flesh in a fast, we have a victory. Because I'm no longer being told what to do by the flesh, but I'm telling the flesh what it's going to do. And I have victory over it. We need victory. And when we have victory over the flesh in that way, then when the sins of the flesh come at us and we're tempted to fall, maybe to the lust of the flesh or pride of life or whatever it is that we're tempted to fall to, if we've had victory over the flesh in fasting and drawn closer to God, when that temptation comes to us by Satan, we can lord over it and put it in its place because we've already had victory over the flesh instead of the flesh always winning over us. So fasting gives us that ability to lord over the flesh. And and as Paul said, I make it my slave. I'm not going to be told what to do by my flesh. I'm going to tell my flesh what to do. That way when the sin comes at me, I have a greater foothold and a stronghold in God. So he, he, there's, there's a, a call, and that changes. That, that call to fast changes us and our perspective on the way the flesh dominates our body and, and our life in general. We need a close, intimate relationship with God, and we have the privilege to have that. And when we walk with Him in fasting, we can experience that. Let me ask you this. What would you do? What would you do to walk closer to God? What would you not do to walk closer with God? If God says, hey, fasting is good for you, and I'm calling you to fast so that you can walk closer to me, why, why would we not fast? Now, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, and I know somebody's sitting out there saying, well, my doctor says I can't fast. Well, I, I, would, I would challenge you to find some way that you can fast in a way that would bring a, a closer spiritual journey where you would take something out of your life and you would focus more completely on God. Satan wants to dominate us and he wants to win in every situation. He wants to destroy us. That's what John 10.10 tells us. But fasting puts an intentional focus on God and helps us overcome him. That's why Daniel chapter 9 verse 3 said exactly what it said there. Daniel's revealing it to us. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting. Notice he says, then he follows that with the prayer that he prayed. He says, alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. God is a covenant keeper. He, he has commands for us and he keeps his covenant. He keeps his end of the bargain. But he says in verse 5, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. Let me ask you, the world we live in today, do you see that? where we have sinned and we've turned away from God? We see that in our lives? See that around us? Do you see in your own personal life where you've turned away from God in areas? You've not allowed His will to work in your life. You've not sought Him to be the God for your life. I wonder... Why people don't fast today? I wonder if it's so 
such a hidden practice. I know that the Scriptures tell us not to parade our fasting, but I wonder if it's such a, a hidden practice that we have, we've just not talked about it. Therefore, you don't see a model of it. Our staff fast, and, and we don't fast to stand here before you this morning and say, hey, we fast so you should fast and look how spiritual we are. No, that would be like that guy that was the Pharisee who was standing in the, in the temple court with uh, uh, the taxpayer, tax collector, and the Pharisee said, I, I praise God I'm not like these other wicked folks. I mean, you know, I, I do this and this and this, and I fast twice a week, and the, the tax collector's over there beating his chest saying, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. And he went away justified to what Scripture says. I'm not talking about we should fast so that we can boast of our spiritual uh, accomplishments and how, how great we are. I'm talking about we should invite others to fast with us or, or talk about it as a church and, and talk about the accomplishments of fasting, the change that comes from fasting. My, my life has been transformed in many ways by fasting. Every time I have a major decision I need to make, I, I don't mind going and taking something out of my life so I can be more in tune with God, but also reminded of what's going on because my flesh is hollering, it wants this or it wants that. And, and I, I wonder if we've done ourselves a disservice because we say, well, if I'm fasting, I can't tell anybody. Instead of saying, you know, fasting's part of our life and it's part of our call. And we should fast before the Lord. When was the last time you fasted? Is the answer never? I just want to challenge you today to draw near to God first and foremost. Read His Word, study His Word, pray, seek the face of God, and even consider fasting. You things mentioned 77 times in the Bible we ought to think about and thought, think about implementing in our lives. So what, what could a fast look like? Pastor, if you want me to fast, what does this look like? Well, let me just give you one quick help there. Maybe you just say, lunch tomorrow, I'm not going to eat tomorrow. I'm going to plan that. I'm going to drink water tomorrow for lunch, and I'm going to spend the time that I would normally spend at my lunch break. Instead of eating or, or going out with folks that day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get in a quiet place, and I'm going to read Scripture, and I'm going to pray and talk to God about what's going on in my life. And I'm going to walk closer to God tomorrow. And then at sundown tomorrow, you can break that fast, and I'll tell you every few minutes throughout the balance of the day, if you don't eat lunch, something's going to speak with inside of you saying, come on, feed me, feed me, feed me. And in those moments, what you can do is you say, God, I'm reminded right now that I'm hungry. And Lord, I want my hunger for you to be greater than the hunger I'm feeling right now. God, I, I pray that you'll move in my life. And just walk through a process of drawing near to God. And every time that hunger pain comes, you pray. And you seek the face of God. I just want to, want to encourage you, church. I believe that will draw us closer to God. And if we apply that to our life regularly, maybe you can work up to where it's a, a whole day of fasting, sundown to, to sundown. Maybe, it's a, maybe you can go a couple of days. I, I don't know what God would call you to, but I would ask you this, to lay it before the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Him, what would He have you do? And then greatly be open to hearing what He's got to say instead of letting the flesh win. So in this text, we see that we see clearly that the word of God was important, prayer was important, and fasting was important. We need to implement fasting with the purpose of drawing near to God into our lives. I want to I want to challenge you this morning to that. I want to challenge you during our time of invitation. First of all and foremost, the reason we're here is to lead people to Jesus. 
If you don't have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ, I'd love to talk with you. One of the other staff pastors would love to talk to you. Or somebody sitting on the pew beside you would love to talk to you about having a relationship, a real relationship with Christ. Not a religion, but a relationship. We'd love to talk to you about that today because life begins when we start walking with Jesus. If you're looking for a place to spend your life and invest your life in this church and you feel like you're being drawn here, we want to talk to you about that today. We'd love for you to be a part of this church. Maybe you're sitting here today and those aren't the options for you. You've already settled your, your faith and you're, you're saved and you're walking with Jesus and this is your church home. I, I just ask you to consider that right now, saying to God, God, I want to fast. I want to draw closer to you. I want to see what this would be like in my life. And I want to give that to you because you've called me to it. You've laid out the conditions and you've told me about change that's going to happen. So I want to see that change in my life. And I'd like to invite you to that. If you will stand with me, I'm going to pray for us, and it'll be your time of invitation. We'll be here for you. Love to talk to you. The altars are open. You come pray. Lay anything you need to before the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the text. God, move in our hearts. Lead us to be all you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You move as God leads.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we have to come together and to work and to worship you. Lord, you truly are worthy, truly worthy of our worship, Lord. We just thank you for loving us. We thank you for caring for us. We thank you for this church, Lord, and those that lead us. Lord, we just ask now as we return a portion of what you provided for us to use the offerings and the gifts that will be given this morning in a mighty way to spread your word throughout this world. In Christ's name. So, what's the vision for your church? Yeah, so Hope Fellowship's vision is to be a Christ-centered, um, multi-ethnic and generational church working in see Knoxville, saved by Jesus, but also changed by Jesus as well. About three months ago, Center Point Baptist Church approached us and said, hey, would y'all pray about taking over our facility? About three years ago, we went through what, what would be called a revitalization process, and, and we really realized that um, we were in hospice. Uh, which basically means we were terminal and the, and the church was in the process of the dying. And so we began to look at options. You know, what are, what are the options uh, for the church? And, and there was a real clear sense that this is God's building, it's God's ministry. And so we looked for ways to, to die with dignity. And one of the ways, I believe, many churches can die with dignity is to go ahead and transfer their property and their assets to a young, vibrant church that can come in and really fulfill the Great Commission and fulfill the real vision of, of the uh, parent church. My first thing as a church planner was to go to our local association and met with our director of missions. And then from there, he showed me who Lewis McMullen was. And those two, Phil Young and Lewis McMullen, have worked really hard to see our church thrive and come to life. We've been supported in numerous ways. We've been prayed for. They're always a phone call away for advice, for counsel, for wisdom, and also to say, hey, uh, we need help with the project, and they're there for us 100%. So that partnership has been really a stabilizing partnership for us, for sure. Tennessee Baptist, giving through the Golden Offering, is the primary way that we support church planning across Tennessee. It is the way that all Tennessee Baptists can be a part of seeing new churches come part of our fellowship and be planted where people are lost and need to be reached. To look at Jesus as Lord. This location is sitting right off of downtown. And so if you go north, you're right in a more affluent area. You go south, you're in more impoverished area. So we sit right in the middle of that. And so we're excited about being able to love and encourage those from both walks of life to see them know Christ. So over the next three to five years, we're hoping to see our congregation grow um, in diversity to become truly a multi-ethnic and cultural church. We're hoping to see uh, students get baptized and saved here as well as families get baptized and saved here. Also, to see our friends who might be a part of the homeless community come to know Jesus Christ and then also be put back on their feet in society as well. <laughs> 